there's something called the broaden and build theory, which basically means that when you have positive emotions, you are more likely to be accepting and open. You can have a bubbling up of change, of behavior change, if you give people the space and the control to work through what they need. Hello, and welcome to the Noble Marketing Ideacast. I'm Becky Holland. David Ogilvy, who you've probably heard of, famously once said, all our greatest assets go down in the elevator at 5 p.m. But if people are the greatest asset to every marketing department, to every agency, what are we doing to serve those people? What are we doing to make sure they continue to be creative, to be innovative? How do we make sure we're doing our best work in 2022? Today, I am so excited to welcome Madeline Evans onto the show. Madeline is somebody I've been working with for almost a year. She has this amazing SaaS brand, Level, but I'm not going to explain to you what Level does. I'm going to leave that to Madeline. Hi, and welcome to the show. Could you um, introduce yourself and let everybody know why you've agreed to come on the podcast with me today? Thank you, Becky. Uh, so great to be here. I'm Madeline, founder and CEO of Level. Level is a well-being measurement company founded with the mission to help people globally achieve peak performance without burnout. Awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the on the show today. So we obviously know one another. We've been working together for, for a little while. So I know a little bit about what you do and obviously how passionate you are about it. But clearly, well-being, well-being management, mental health is a really big issue in agencies, in marketing departments, all around the world at the moment. It's, it's really kind of prevalent in a lot of conversations. So how would, you, how would you interpret wellness and why is it so important in marketing particularly? So this is super interesting and I would reiterate it is everywhere and increasingly burnout is also prevalent in conversations everywhere. Wellness is not really a technical term. I think when people, what they really mean is their health, and by that we mean physical and mental health, or we mean well-being, and our well-being is uh, more holistic. Um, There are two angles that the world's researchers and policymakers take on well-being, which is objective and subjective. The objective view looks at well-being as a set of attributes or characteristics that can be measured by anyone from the outside. And that usually has to do with traditional areas that we think are important in life, like the number of hours you spend outside or close connections you have or years of education. But then the subjective view looks at well-being as really something that is more emotional, spiritual and experiential. And therefore, it's only able to be judged by you as an individual. And it comes from a long-standing tradition of philosophical theories and academic research about what you think and feel when you are truly in your optimal state for performance or living a good life. Okay. And I guess it's worth noting here, actually, also, that when we're talking about subjective well-being, again, researchers and policymakers have actually whittled down those theories into three main elements, life satisfaction, daily experiences, and a sense of purpose and meaning. What is interesting about that is that your day-to-day experiences in the workplace are a key driver of both your performance and also your health. If you think about how we've traditionally organized work and maybe maybe you're thinking 
you know, we have our businesses and even like a whole economy. We've organized ourselves around measuring and monitoring and driving for, for output usually, right? So task lists, hours, work, absenteeism. I mean, even the GDP is an output measure. And this has been happening in an increasing rate as we've industrialized our economy for the last 100 years. And so kind of what we've seen while we've been focusing on driving for output and trying to get the most out of people, we have created work-related stress, burnout, and then subsequently diagnosable issues with mental health, anxiety, depression, problem drinking, and even some of those stress-related and mental health-related issues in, in physical chronic diseases. That is clearly not an effective way of approaching working because you end up then having to address problems that are occurring, right? It's kind of your, I wish I could have a visual here, but you're driving from performance uh, from an output perspective on one side, then you're trying to treat all these mental health and physical health issues on the other side. And it turns out that your personal well-being is actually a driver of both those things. So if we focus just on our individual well-being and optimize for that, which then has links to both performance and work, but also really positive mental and physical health impacts, then we kind of get both in one. I guess I just wanted to get a little bit more personal because that's the sort of stuff that, that I guess gets people interested in like what you know why is this topic of mental health and experienced well-being so important to you and how did you get into this in the first place so I um you know I started my career I suppose I've always been really motivated energetic high performer in work was an athlete in college ran track and field always very much looked after my physical health and simply had that experience where I was definitely not in that great state and was definitely delivering the output <laughs> until I wasn't. Mm. So my insight was was really personally, okay, obviously if I could have this performance but it wasn't sustainable, then I obviously missed something. And so I was optimizing for something, but it was probably the wrong thing. And uh, I had the opportunity to go into pretty deep in kind of the academic research, understand that, meet some of the key people who were pioneers in the research and burnout, organizational psychology, health and performance, and realize there was a gap in performance management, really, and that the best way to both address the rising physical health and mental health crisis and allow ourselves to unlock a new phase of human performance is to focus first on measuring and then managing and improving our well-being. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your story. How do you measure well-being? Such a good question. Since we're here talking about, for example, creativity, which is one aspect of performance, there's a large body of research that shows strong links between creativity and your experience experiences or experience well-being. And I would pull out there are at least three or four really important dimensions to talk about. So the first dimension that's important for creativity and work is pretty simple, which would be your energy levels. So 
pretty basic, but you obviously need to have a certain level of energy in order to put in the mental effort to do the work. <laughs> if you're tired to think nothing good's going to come out, right? So that's kind of a step one. And that's, that's sort of the basic context. Um, the second dimension, which is interesting to focus on, might be a little bit intuitive as well, which is your mood. So there's a volume of really interesting research around creativity and mood, which comes from emotions and motivations research. Um, it turns out that when it comes to the quality of ideas that you implement, although you might think, for example, negative emotions would be good for creativity, for example, because you're frustrated and it pushes you to be more creative, you know, you're trying harder to solve a problem, that um, from the perspective of the quality of ideas that you implement, positive emotions or being in a positive mood is what is really linked to creativity. There's something called the broaden and build theory, which basically means that when you have positive emotions, you are more likely to be accepting and open uh, to new and interesting ideas, or you're more likely to be accepting of new and interesting ideas because you are a bit more open. So we've talked about energy, we've talked about positive emotions, being a positive mood, but there is actually another dimension. And I was quite surprised by this, but stress is a pretty big killer of creativity. Marketing departments thrive on stress. That's kind of how, how it works, surely? No, so it's interesting. And that's where you really have to kind of take a hard look at you're thriving on stress, but what, what are you working on and what are you really delivering and what's the output? You might be working fast, but are you really being brilliant? Are you actually delivering something that's really new and different? So that's three things. You've talked about energy, mood, and stress. Yeah, because I, uh, I so, so this is all also, of course, assuming, right, that you are, you're motivated. So the fourth dimension we look at is motivation, that you're actually motivated for work and then you want to be creative in the first place. <laughs> The other point is that although they're important for you in life, there isn't a lot of research that, that specifically links a life satisfaction to workplace creativity, for example. Okay. On the other hand, there is substantial research, like we've talked about, that links specific dimensions of your that experience well-being, that piece of your, your day-to-day, the life journey, right, to your both your health, but also your work performance. And we talked about creativity, but there are also links through effort, customer experience, errors, etc. And um, these specific dimensions of experience are also key determinants of your mental and physical health. Okay. How do you measure these things? We built a really simple tool. It's easily downloadable to your phone as an app or it's accessible on the web, and it uses techniques applied by academics to sample people's experiences. It's called experience sampling. Uh, it uses techniques applied by academics to sample people's experiences day-to-day in order to derive well-being measurements for research, but it helps you apply that in life and work for your own performance, uh, creativity, and health. So the factors that we focus on are your mood, whether you are experiencing positive emotions or negative emotions, your energy, whether you're having high energy or uh, whether you're experiencing fatigue, your calm, so whether you're calm or high feelings of stress, and also your motivation, whether you're motivated or, or feeling bored. And it's pretty simple, right? This is a, it's a self-reflection exercise, and you have to be thoughtful about how you design the interface and how people actually engage with it. Level, we use emojis and we use sliders as our framework with the four levels. Um, and ultimately we've wrapped that all up in a, a mobile app that just reflects the 
the right techniques that are usually used by academics for um, well-being measurement for research. How easy is it to get people to reflect in that sort of way? Yeah, I mean, so easy. It's really simple. Just simply, it only takes maybe two seconds. It's something that you can do when you're on the go, when you're arriving at work, if you want to do it at your lunch, it's fine. Most people really value it because it's an interesting prompt and actually chance to just take a step back for a second and reflect. Mm. You can use it on a re- reactive basis. You can go in whenever you want and do it. Or you can do what we call use it in proactive mode, which is you're trying to kind of really positively build a habit. And that's probably the best approach. And then we make it really simple because we actually enable to even set yourself reminders and um, takes about two seconds. And it's a really quick, simple self-reflection that um, is really valuable every day. How can we, or, or can we use this to supercharge creativity? Can we use it to create competitive advantage for our brands? Like what, do we, what do we do with this, this information? Surely that insight is only useful if we use it. For really strong, sustainable performance, I recommend using level what we call more proactive mode, which is you're checking in on yourself daily so you can set yourself up to be really effective every day as a positive habit. And then you can see easy in two seconds stopping to think, check in on yourself morning or perhaps early evening, what's my state, and you're recording it. So you're starting to see actually data that's totally personal to you, lows, highs, anything that's persistently low, daily patterns and use that as a reflection tool so it's like okay well fine every week well let me ask myself which of these levels do I need to focus on in order to get into the state for my optimal performance every day next week or, or even this year it sounds great this idea of being in this optimal state but I guess clearly when you're looking at things things there's going to be some people that are that are flying they're supercharged they're being creative and maybe being creative is, is making them energized so there's this kind of self-fulfilling thing that's great that's going on and then the other people that are finding it much more difficult to stay motivated we've not really talked a lot about um remote working but obviously that's a key part of this some people thrive when they're working from home some people find it really difficult and I'm particularly thinking about kind of young people in marketing departments and agencies that maybe have come out of college did uni sitting in their bedroom and now they're at work still sitting in their bedroom like what would you know what what should agencies what should marketing departments do if they discover you do have this big kind of gap I guess between some people that are performing well um, and have great I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology here, but great levels of experience, well-being, and other people that don't, what do you do? So there is a really simple framework to use to think about what determines your well-being and how it affects your performance and, and overall health. And there are three things. So the first is really the your, your individual person, individual employees, use of time habits, both in and outside of work. Um, The second is the team, which is going to partially the individual responsibility, but also team leaders' responsibilities, management and balance of work and resource, kind of the dynamics there, and also some a bit about the micro team culture. And then the third is the wider wraparound, which is your organizational culture and work environment. And you can want to kind of address each of those three things. I like to start with the individual. That's you know, me, you know, we're kind of the center of all this. So this is really an education piece, which is your, or even training piece, which is you're asking a question, you know, okay, speaking of remote work, 
do I and everyone else in my company or my team actually have the skills to manage myself well in terms of my habits and time so that I am at my, I'm happy, I'm energetic, (laughs) I'm feeling calm, I'm feeling motivated in this remote hybrid work environment. You know, there are best practices out there like matching your energy type to how you start your day, reducing strain by batching tasks, having your non-negotiable habits for your own personal, physical, and mental health, thinking, being intentional about meeting time, you know, and people just don't necessarily know all about this. So we like to set clients up, for example, with level at first with what we call like our 30 day spread to give all teams a bit of training on just these kind of key self-management skills um, with support, uh, with our support of our coach network. So that's first bit, right, which is me and how I manage my life right, and, and work that I have control over. The second piece is about the team and getting people working together uh, better as a team. So with Level, we set up dashboards for the team, see averages on these key areas for everyone overall. And we've also built in access to sharing and feedback features. This allows people to actually record, share, you can do it anonymously or not, what is draining their energy, what's causing frustration, what's causing stress. We call these blockers and also actually ideas for improvement. Then we help the team leader, we do a bit of training on how to set up a little bit of time in the day. You know, we suggest maybe once a week to go in, check the dashboard, see what's going on. Are people sharing feedback? Respond to it. And that two, five, 10 minutes, you know, goes actually quite a long way to people feeling heard. We also, by the way, automatically send team leaders their highlights, a reminder email once a week to go in and check on their team. And you can also get mobile phone notifications when things are shared. So super straightforward and getting that feedback loop working is also pretty important. And I think it's even more important in um, the remote work environment that we have today. And the last piece is really the company-wide piece that I mentioned, which is that do the leaders actually have the information about how people are doing on average overall across the company, what teams are doing well, what teams are not, but also what are the key themes that are common issues for people across multiple different teams? And that's really where they should prioritize their effort to improve the company. One of the things that's been interesting is to just see how many companies are just spending, wasting really, money on a lot of initiatives that maybe have something to do with engagement or well-being, but not really sure. They're not really kind of responding to what's actually needed. And so this is a much more efficient uh, approach. So at the company level, it's interesting because it can split out into anything. I mean, ultimately, the things that are in the company's control, when you think about it, right, you have your policies, any particular official processes around things. That can be things like leave policy. That could be benefits. That could be things around inclusion, DEI. It could also be things around, for example, health and safety. We also do sometimes see things that are company-wide around learning training and learning and development, where there are unaddressed sub-segments of people who are feeling frustrated, feeling overwhelmed and stressed because they actually just haven't gotten the right specific resources or training to do their job. So that's also super interesting for companies. The 
Other piece that can come up is things to do with if you're working, if you are working in an office or if you're working from home, but you have company provided tools is inappropriate or but as in sense of insufficient workplace tooling, software, laptops breaking, you know, IT problems, which I'm sure everyone's very aware of the laptops breaking. Exactly. And um, also your physical environment too hot, too cold, light, the setup, you know, stuffiness, things that, you know, they think, okay, those are subtle, but actually they do really affect me, right? And I may not be realizing that unless I'm, I'm actually thinking about it. And the company's definitely not realizing it unless they can see the patterns and hear, are hearing from people about what they need. Of course, if there are any specific dynamics, like on the individual side related to their own personal habits or related to work, work and resource management that are pretty endemic, then those would also show up as, as company-wide patterns. And that might be something where the company has to take a take a call on whether they want to implement, for example, a new benefit scheme that's going to support people on that, or they want to address how people prioritize work and give people training on more agile um, and more effective prioritization and work scoping. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the types of company you're working with, who you think is going to be most important for, um, and, and who's really going to benefit from, from this? We've seen a really interesting level from high-performing organizations from all industries, creative industries, also technology industries, and also even health. And we've been working with Babylon Health, who you might know as a leading telehealth provider, recently IPO'd in the US to support their remote clinical telehealth base in what is a very demanding job and very high risk burnout to be at their best in making diagnosis for patients and taking care of themselves as well. Do you have any final thoughts or reflections or ideas for all the kind of marketing leaders and CMOs and agency bosses that are storming by their thousands to listen to this this, this <laughs> podcast before we before we wrap up? <laughs> so there were a couple of things I was going to say related to that. Like first off, just for me, I mean, I like I use my own app mm-hmm. and I use the level app in the process of my own personal rethinking of my life and, and recovery. So can you use it as an individual or is it because we've kind of been talking about it as like a company wide agency wide tool, but you're saying you just use it as an individual person so somebody could just test it out and use it for themselves. Hundred percent, hundred percent absolutely. Yeah. Just as any individual looking for a tool to just start thinking a bit more effectively and proactively about what's going on in their life and are they living the life they want and is it allowing to achieve what they want to achieve, then Level is a great platform and great beginning. Then from a kind of key takeaways perspective, I think the other thing I just want to say is that in organizations, in a way, you can have a bubbling up of, of change, of behavior change, if you give people the space and the control to use something like Level or a a similar app and work through what they need and actually give them the the power and the agency to make the changes. But in other cases, there are going to be elements where the culture of the organization is still pretty dominant and individuals don't have a lot of control because they're dynamics of work or being subject to the whims of the client side and then the culture it does really start from the top and so the people who are at the top they do set the tone for these things and so we always 
would recommend and we love to work with organizations especially larger ones where they do have a lot of things like this going on they have high rates of attrition they're trying to get the most out of it they're paying a lot for benefits for health they're not seeing the improvements you know that stuff it's just actually just sit down with the people who are setting the tone and talk through some of these things so much that is absolutely absolutely brilliant i've really enjoyed talking to you today madeline thank you for joining me on the show i wish you the very best of luck with everything and love to have you back here again soon thank you and if anyone wants to check us out or um download the app work with us as a company we are level and that is l-e-v-e-l-l dot i-o thank you so much that's awesome In the next episode, I'll be talking technical with James Colburn. We'll be exploring the way the rules around tracking and third-party cookies are changing. I feel I may need to buy some actual cookies in honour of the event. Maybe bake some. Anyway, this is the Cookieless World episode, where we'll find out about the outstream, what it means for marketers, both agencies and brands. The Noble Marketing Ideacast is brought to you by BHP. We're creative venture marketeers helping clients with purpose transform their results and not their Instaglow. Find out more. Visit our website at bhandp.com. That's B-H-A-N-D-P.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you to our producer, the highly talented Chris Atterway. Till next time, I'm Becky Holland. Thanks for listening. <laughs>